Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Vault Week podcast. I'm Vault Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with garden designer Lee Burkill. Now, Lee, you're a well-known face on the TV screens and um, you're um, increasingly well-known uh, in the industry as well. But you didn't start in, in horticulture, did you? You got like, a, 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 you're a career changer. So what, 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 what's your kind of route into horticulture? Well, you're right. I've not always worked in horticulture and I am a career changer. Before joining horticulture and garden design, I actually worked in IT. I qualified in law and then went to work for one of the big blue chip companies um, in IT as a project manager. And that that was kind of the happy accident at the time. I thought that was what I was going to be doing. And then flash forward, you know, 12 years, having always had my own garden, always been really interested in gardening, I did... Um, part-time design course with the RHS believe it or not on a Friday one cold dark winter and it just kind of took off from there it was it's always been my passion but I thought there's no way I'll ever make a career out of this it will never become anything other than a hobby so I'd I'd never really invested any more effort into it being more than a, a fun pastime but as soon as I'd done that course other things started to happen I entered the competition with the RHS and the BBC for a new designer uh, managed to win that, did my first show garden with them, and it it really did just take off a bit like being strapped to a rocket. <laughs> strapped to a rocket. So what would be your advice for other people, either career-changing or starting out? I think my advice would be, you know, absorb as much information as you can from other people in the industry. And attend some courses. You know, I learned an awful lot from doing some of the short-term courses, um, volunteering with other designers, at show gardens, even just to clean plants or go into local nurseries and, and just speaking to people that have a real specialism and expertise because you'll find that the great thing about people in horticulture is they all want to share their knowledge. It's infectious and most people want to tell you what they know and what they've learned. Alongside that, I, I did the RHS Level 2 um, up at Edinburgh. So, you know, you are going to need some botanical training, some horticultural knowledge that you know, the RHS were a really good provider of that and it will help give you all that plant knowledge that you need, 
you do really need to know the Latin names of plants just so you can differentiate them from other common names and, and learn about soil and design and layout and seasons and become a sponge basically, but do it at your own pace because it's such a huge subject matter that you're never going to do it just in a year. It, it's a lifelong journey, but start and you know attend some courses, volunteer and just soak up as much as you can. Yeah, I did the RHS level two and the, the Latin bit was, was the hardest bit for me. You know, I found it quite intimidating and I find that old professionals in, in the industry, they throw a lot of Latin at you and you're like, oh, you know, mm. do I really need to know all that? Can we not have a bit of easier names? I mean, did you find it like that? Yeah, and I'll be, I'll be honest, it's a really steep learning curve with the Latin. But what I say to new designers who all raise this, this niggle with me is, once you get it, you can very quickly discern different plants from other plants. And when you're putting together designs or planting plants, there's no confusion over what you mean by that plant. However, if you're you know, a hobbyist gardener, a weekend gardener, most decent horticulturists can translate your black-eyed Susie to a Rebecca Herter. You know, it, it should be the, the experts that do the translation, not the beginners or the new gardeners. So I think there's a halfway house where we can still use common names Maybe if we use a description as well, just so we can help narrow it down. But I think if you're going to go into it as a profession, getting your head around Latin, it, it will stand you in good stead. And it also helps describe the plants when you understand the different terminologies in, in the Latin. And that will help you identify things as well. So it's not completely essential, but I think moving forward, we do still need it. But it's it's kind of common sense, really. A nice balance. No, no, indeed. Um you, I mean, did you do you feel you had quite a rapid rise to the top, or were there barriers in the way, or how, you know, how do you feel about that? That's a good question. I mean, looking back over the last eight or nine years, I suppose it has been incredibly rapid compared to people that maybe went to horticultural college or university to sort of design. And but having said that, it, it really feels to me like it was always my passion. I've always loved to garden. I've had gardens. I've you know, made plenty of mistakes myself as a amateur gardener. And then as soon as the design element came into it and the level two of the RHS and winning that competition, it all kind of got smushed together. And I thought, well, actually, looking back, I've been working, you know, part-time in this field for a long time, just as an amateur. And now it's all come together. But I think if I can give any learning to anyone, it's, you know, take those opportunities. If you can volunteer for someone, do it, you'll learn something. If there's a competition, if there's something something or some way you can get involved, you never know what's going to come of it. For, for me, was it the plan to be on TV and, you know, be this, in inverted commas, famous garden designer? Well, no, it wasn't. I just wanted to design small gardens. And then all of a sudden, through opportunity and taking them and seeing where it goes, this has happened and I'm, I'm grateful for it. But, you know, don't set the bar so high that you get put off from a career in horticulture. Just start with a passion and see where that little flame takes you. Now, let's talk about Garden Rescue because that's where you're best known. We see you on our TV screens regularly. So how did that come about? Garden Rescue, it was such a happy accident. And again, it was never part of the plan, but I originally started doing YouTube videos for my garden clients basically because everyone I designed a garden for had similar questions about how to look after certain plants, how to prune, how to do this, how to do that. And I was getting a bit fed up of having to ring them one after the other and explain it. So I thought, well, I'll do a video to describe it. And then my clients can watch that and it saves a lot of time. Anyway, 
the YouTube thing kind of took off and that got bigger and bigger and became its own like business really. And then Garden Rescue saw me on that. They got in touch. I think it was the the year of COVID when COVID first struck just before um, and, you know, asked for a sample of my designs, had like an online interview with them. But I just thought, well, they're telling me they're interviewing all these amazing designers and I'm just in the mix and that's fine. And then it kind of happened and then they signed me and it, it really was a bit of a blur. But again, I think it's just that passion for what I do sort of called out and they said, well, we think you'd be good at this. And I went, well, do you know what? I'll give it a go. What's the worst? And and yeah, the, the rest, I suppose, is kind of history. What, what's the future with Garden Rescue? What, what What's the state of uh, how recordings are and broadcasts at the moment? Mm, it's been a tough year for Garden Media, I'll be honest. You know, we had all sorts of events last year that took money out of, say, mainstream TV, streaming services, the fact there's a cost of living crisis, all of these things impact Hort on a huge level because for a lot of people, Hort design plants are a luxury. They're not a necessity. So it's the first thing to go. It's like, well, we won't bother with the garden. We won't bother with design. We'll cut back. So it is tough. However, you know, there's Garden Rescue, there's Gardener's World that are still the two main garden shows that have funding. So we've just finished this year's series a couple of weeks ago. Um, you never really know what's going to happen with the next year. It's always sort of very early on in the year when you find out. But looking at the viewing figures and the response from the public, it seems to be a show that, you know, has a really good feel-good factor. And since I've joined, I've been really pushing for more hot knowledge. Like, let me explain the why about these plants, the why about the design, so that people can then interpret that to their own gardens rather than just showing them lots of nice things nice plants nice layouts it's like well, why are we doing that as designers why as horticulturalists is that plant really suitable um so i've been pushing for that which from the feedback we're getting from the public is that they're getting that they feel like they're getting more knowledge transfer which is great but as for the future i mean who knows with um the bbc and media but it, it's got great feedback no well it's certainly a great watch um but I guess a lot of people ask you this, but how do you keep on coming up with fresh designs? Mm, that's a really good question as well, because you do tend to find that that certain contributors, as we call them, fall into different boxes. So you'll have your new build garden or you'll have your couple that have just moved into a mature overgrown garden or privacy. You have kind of very similar gardens. But for me, it's when when we get the brief, from um, the production company there's lots of things they want in there and I'm like well let's boil this down to what's really going to make a difference and and make a change and because we get so much information on the contributors and details about what they want I I just love the challenge of well how am I going to do something that's going to give them what they want but also allow me to demonstrate to you know the 1.5 million people that watch it what they can do if they've got a similar situation so it's always twofold with me it's like that really works for them but the the knowledge the the theory of why it works for them can then be applied to all these other people who can then have a go themselves at home have you got a favorite one you've ever done oh a favorite one i mean we've had a few this year that have been really um overwhelming for the contribs you know we've the designs i've done you can tell that they're going to change their life they're fixing a really significant health problem for example but there was one from last year, um, which was in Southampton, a really wide but narrow garden, like a real pain in the backside to design. And a lot of new build houses have this problem where you know, they can literally see the neighbours 
from the windows, you know, they're right there, so skinny. And I designed this separate garden. It was on two levels because of a height change. And I designed a reel with like a concrete walkway and it was all very blue and orange and un- unusual contrasting colours. And the, the contributor loved it and it got good, that's a, almost great feedback from the public because you don't often see what can you do with that really awkward garden shape. So that, that was kind of my my favourite. I thought that really works for the for the garden. Oh, good stuff. So what's, um, what's Charlie like to work with? She's lovely. Do you know, she's... She's been around a while, I hear, so... <laughs> this <you> is <laughs> yeah, she's, she's a font of knowledge. She's good fun to get on with. And me and her now, you know, we've been working together four years, so we've got um, kind of our own little chemistry where she's, you know, been there, done that, and I can be a bit cheeky with her. And, you know, we spend a lot of time just talking about plants and what we've done in the past with plants. And she's a plants woman, I'm a plantsman. So it's a good laugh in that sense. And... You know, there's a lot of pressure on the show because you've got to build in two days. That's all you get. So it's kind of like the weather, things not arriving on time, all factor in. But yeah, learn a lot from her, have a good laugh with her, play plenty of practical jokes on her, which really annoys her. So we've got that kind of like, (laughs) that fun relationship. Another area which I think you've talked about a bit in the past, but I'd love to talk about to you a bit more is mm. your view on diversity in horticulture. And you know, is there enough? Does horticulture do enough to have more diverse people in it? I mean, it's seen as being quite a sort of traditional industry. Yeah, and it's a really important and yet tricky subject matter because we, we do need more diversity in horticulture, but then we've got to start at the base and work out well. Why are we only seeing a certain cohort of hort? Do you know? And is it because that the educational needs are missing in, say, secondary schools, primary schools? Because there's no hort curriculum that I know of at the moment. And then you look at the job opportunities and the wages. So it's it's a really big knotted ball of yarn trying to unpick it to work out well, what stops people from diverse backgrounds or different backgrounds getting into hort. Why do we see similar people? you know in nurseries on tv in magazines and i think it's one of those things that can't just be fixed overnight because it's it's like the question of why don't we have more women ceos in businesses you know it's because historically there hasn't been the opportunity for them but it's not going to be changed overnight and i wish it was but it's a bit of a slow burn but i think we as the as the gardening community and media need to kind of open our doors a bit more and maybe not cling on to the the knowledge we've acquired because as I said at the beginning of the podcast you'll never learn it all but I think sometimes we we as humans fear sharing our knowledge in case we lose our our position or our place or our our work but the, the knowledge is endless so we should open our doors a bit more explain things more help people welcome them in and you know there's enough cake for everyone in terms of heart and gardening and the amount of people that are buying our products and services. So I think for me, diversity is all about just, just relaxing a little bit, open those doors, you know, get get more people interested, give them a go, see see what they feel, how they think about it, rather than trying to achieve quotas, because I think you just end up in this ticking a box, which is wrong on all counts. And I think we just need to be a little bit more free and open up those doors. No, that's great advice. Now, uh, you made your name initially in shows, RHS shows. Have you got any plans for any more? You're right in that 
the show gardens did kind of propel me forward and I really enjoyed doing them because I always like to try and have a strong message with them about either you know community gardening has been a strong message I've I've been designing for the past few years small garden spaces trying to get people to green up otherwise grey or concrete areas I would love to do some more in the future but to be honest I've, I think I'm on like six or seven in probably a few years and it's a lot of work I enjoy them but it takes up a big chunk of my year the pressure is significant so I think for, definitely for next year it's a no-no I need to kind of take my foot off the gas a bit with them but I would love in the future to come back with something a little bit challenging dare I say and do something that that kind of a bit marmite that people either love or hate because it's a bit challenging with plant choices and the message that that design would be and I've got something in mind but I'm going to keep that quiet because I think it's um yeah it, it could be quite challenging but I think when I next do one I'd like it to be sort of a, a bit left field the next level of, of garden ninja go on Lee, give, us, give us a clue just give us a little, <laughs> a little clue I mean, I, I talked to one of the the expert planters that um, I've known for years, and she does a lot at Chelsea, and I've worked with her. And I'm like, I'd love to create a garden that looks like Mother Nature's, like finally got our revenge on what we've done to the planet. Do you know, it's kind of like scary garden. <laughs> so I think I mentioned flame and smoke and a crevasse and stuff like that. So. <laughs> Yeah, superb. I can't wait to see that. That sounds like a really good idea. Have you got a, a dream TV project you'd like to do? Ah, oh, dream TV. I, I'd love to have my own show, not for you know narcissistic reasons, but I'd love to be able to bring like the full Garden Ninja experience to the masses. You know, traveling around different gardens or even different parts of the world and explaining where we've got plants from, why they work for us. And kind of condensing garden design styles and skills into into like episodes that people can take home and go, oh, I've got a shady garden that's really wet, and I've just learned about this shade garden here, and being able to take like the excellence of different garden design styles and interpret it for the public so that they can go and do it themselves. So not necessarily a makeover show like Garden Rescue, but something that just gets me really hands deep in design and plants and the why 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 does this work oh i hope some tv commissioners are listening have you got any other interesting projects lined up um, i've been doing quite a lot of public speaking this year which is always good fun um i did i did a series of lectures at the interflora world cup which was great because all these florists turn up they don't really have that much interest in garden design but managing to convert them um and doing like live q and a's with people were I thrive on not knowing what's next. So I love, quite strangely, standing on a stage with a mic and then people can ask me anything about gardens or plants or design. It kind of, it fires my, my brain up and I think, right, let's think of the solution and get it out there within the next minute before they fall asleep. So I'd, I'd love to do a bit more public speaking like that and, and maybe some live TV with garden coverage, especially at the shows. I love to be able to look at those show gardens, have a quick chat with the designer and then go, right, in 30 seconds, what would be the take home for people? What, why, why is this garden so special? And let's really hone in on that bit that then someone can then go and have a go at replicating or that knowledge. Like I said before, just opening up the knowledge so that whoever's walking past on a nice day out after a glass of Pims can go, oh, I get why that bit works and I'm going to go and do that. that. That to me is like the holy grail of being a designer is being able to explain things. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, brilliant. Well, I look forward to, uh, to that happening. I hope it does happen soon. Now, we've learned quite a lot about you, Lee, in this, just in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> but one thing we need to know, learn about you, which we always learn about people in the whole week podcast, is what's your favourite plant? That's, that's how we always end up these podcasts. And it's a really tricky one. And I'm sure everyone says the same thing. Well, it depends on the time of year, the mood I'm in. My favourite plant is anything from the Rudbeckia genus. Uh, and, and the reason why that is, is it's a bit of a Marmite plant, you know, late summer, early autumn, bright yellow, in your face, daisy-like plants, great for honeybees and late foraging insects. But for beginner gardeners, they're a fantastic plant because you can split them, they're bulletproof, slugs leave them alone. But it's kind of one of those plants that you just can't miss. It's in your face. And I think sometimes as gardeners, as horts, we like things to be, you know, beautifully monochromatic, soft, simple. The Rudbeckia is none of those things. It's one of those plants that you see it, you've got an opinion. And that's why I love it, because by having an opinion, someone can say to me in a garden centre, oh, I hate that plant. And I can go, oh, I love it. Why do you hate it? And then we start talking and we've got a conversation. Whereas if I say, oh, look at this gorgeous salvia caridona, and they go, yeah, it's great. Conversation's over. So the Rudbeckia for me, favourite plant because it's bulletproof and also because it gets people talking. Oh, brilliant. Now, Lee, you're known as the Garden Ninja. Will you always be known as the Garden Ninja, do you think? Um, I hope so, because that's that's where I, I started my, my business. It's how I've managed to reach out to all these people, because being like Lee Burkett, that's fine. But I always wanted to have my business as a community, which is why Garden Ninja appeared. You know, the followers are all called ninjas. They work on their own gardens. They ask each other questions. They help other gardeners. The, the ninja community is what it's all about. So... I like to think of myself as, you know, Garden Ninja first and foremost, and Lee Burkill is the owner of Garden Ninja. Superb. Well, it's been great talking to you, Lee. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> Superb. No, well, I'm Matthew Appleby, Hot Week editor, and this has been the Hot Week podcast, and I've been with Lee Burkill, the Garden Ninja. And um, subscribe to or follow Hot Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform so once again thanks to Lee Burkill and goodbye until next time hi I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.